Hey, I'm Danny Levy, and you're listening to Digital Transformation and Leadership. This is the show where we go behind the scenes with today's top business leaders to understand how they're digitally transforming their company. This week, I'm joined by Mohammed Hafids, Head of Payments and Financial Services at AirAsia, and Nagesh Devata, APAC Regional VP and Head of Enterprise at Payoneer. Mo Nagesh, welcome to Digital Transformation and Leadership. Thanks, Danny. Uh, happy to be here. Thanks, Danny. It's a pleasure to be here today. Yeah, fantastic to, to have you both on the show. Thanks, uh, thanks for joining me. So, so before we start, um, it would be great if I've, I've done the quick introduction, but it would be great to hear from yourselves as well, you know, a little bit more about who you are and, and, and what it is you're doing. And Nagesh, maybe you could, you could kick us off. So thanks, Danny, again. And uh, hi, everyone. My name is Nagesh Devada. I am the regional VP at uh, Painter. I look after our Asia-Pacific business. And what that means is really we're focused on trying to engage and partner with different types of platforms, uh, marketplaces, and really see how we can help them connect to sellers, uh, small businesses, uh, independent creators uh, in the region in Asia Pacific, but also around the world. And really, we've seen such tremendous growth in the space. So really excited to be here and uh, to have this conversation. Mo? Cool. Good morning, guys. Thanks for, for having me. Um, well, everybody calls me Mo, but, you know, formally it's Mohammed Hafiz, but that's a mouthful. So more it is. Um, I head up um, AirAsia Money, which is actually AirAsia's fintech arm. AirAsia Money basically is the payment orchestration platform for the AirAsia group. We, we handle everything in terms of moving money for the, the organization, the airlines, the e-commerce business, um, as well as our subsidiaries. We also have a financial services platform that looks at other financial products for the masses because we do believe that it's all about making financial services accessible um, to our customers and um, the masses. And we've been trying to sit down and make sure that that, um, that capability leverages on the fintech proposition that we have. So for us, um, Arija, as you know, is not only the airline, uh, we also have the super app, um, which is uh, currently being used across ASEAN and Arisha Money is the, the, the backstop in terms of the payment orchestration piece uh, for all of it. Danny, um, Nagesh, it's great to be here with you guys, as, as always. So, um, looking forward to, to today. So just before we get into the, the main topic, I wanted to break the ice a little bit. Um, also gives the, the listeners a bit of a chance to, to get, get to know your way of thinking a bit more as well. But um, I wanted to ask, if you, were, if you were given an extra hour every day what would you do with the with the twenty fifth hour? And I guess maybe you can kick us off again. Thanks, Danny. That's a tough question, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have I have dreamed about the twenty fifth hour, and not quite sure how I would use it or what I would do. And I, I actually think it's probably uh, more just having some time to relax and and just do something fun uh for that extra that extra hour i'm not someone who can sleep so i i wish i could but it's it's probably just having some time uh you know sitting back having a drink um watching something on the tv or listening to some music or even you know getting into a book that Mm -hmm. i have not been reading so that's probably what i would do with my extra hour you'd you'd spend the time wisely refilling the cup (laughs) i like that (laughs) I think I'd be exactly the same. 
Uh, how about you, Mo? Well, for me, it depends whether my wife figures out I have that extra hour. Because yeah. if, if, if she knows I do have that extra hour, she'll probably take it. <laughs> and I probably end up with chores. Um, but if it's something that I, um, I get, it's, it's always been a challenge because it's, it's nice to regroup and, and have some time to reflect on, on the day. Because usually when we start looking at what we do now, I realize the, the entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurial kind of environment is so rapid mm. that somehow we need to sit down and step back and, and, and look at it again. And I find that being able to do that gives you a very different perspective, even though you're still in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes gives me an idea on how to crack it in a different way. So yeah. um, just to regroup, I guess, you know, recompose um, your thoughts and your thinking and your, your tactics um, it would be exceptionally helpful. Like Nagesh, I don't think I'd be looking at additional sleep. That's never going to happen. I think. <laughs> and that's, 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 that's really interesting. So you, like, any problems or things you're going through, actually you'd use the extra hour just to step away and maybe, you know, look at it differently or read up or talk to someone you trust to, to kind of see it in exactly. a new light. Is that what you say? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, love that. It's a great way to approach it. Um, so the topic we're going to get into today um, is around Apex digital evolution. And I mean, it's such an exciting region at the moment in terms of digital transformation. And that's a, that's a very broad term in itself. But um, there's so much going on. It's so multifaceted. Uh, so many different countries. Um, I'm really looking forward to kind of getting into this discussion with you both just to, to get your thoughts and, and, and see how you're you're looking at it through your lenses at the moment. Um, so in terms of what's going on right now, what, what is the moment in time and how is it evolving, Nagesh? Um, it'd be great to get your thoughts to kick us off. Well, digital transformation, I think it's, it's, it's become a topic that actually everyone wants to talk about, mm. they want to hear about now. And even if you went back maybe two, two and a half to three years ago, it was something that you know, I think we all recognize that we needed to do or we needed to think about, but it's something we also, you know, put aside. I think, you know, coming from the industry that we come from or where I come from, you know, I come from payments, it's mm-hmm. you know, digital transformation is, is really core to everything that we do. Uh, so we thrive on anybody who's talking about digital transformation because it really, you know, it, it's, it's what drives our business as well. And, you know, the way I like to think about it is, you can either be analog or you can be digital. And, and you know, I think pre-COVID, a lot of us were analog. And uh, post-COVID, I think it's now very much part of the vocabulary. Um, you know, it's been said, everyone's talked about it, that uh, there's been more uh, growth, more awareness, more, you know, more transformation in the last two years than, you know, anyone has ever predicted. And something that would have probably taken, you know, five to seven years to, to, to come into play. But, you know, I think you, you can see sort of a very wide spectrum of what digital transformation means. You, you and, and what we've seen, what we've seen is, and we're, we're super excited when we see, uh, you know, partners, uh, customers and, and merchants who start talking about digital transformation, because really for us, again, we see, we see there's a great connection. Um, but on the flip side, I've seen so many businesses uh, just attending conferences, so many businesses are, that are just suddenly realizing that they need to transform and they need to have a digital strategy. And it's it's amazing that for 
all the news that's out there about the companies that are doing it, there are so many that are not doing it. And for me, again, it's, it's, it's both a challenge and an opportunity. I'm looking at it and saying, oh my gosh, how can I, how can we help you? How can we help you? Even if it's not necessarily something that's going to uh, grow our business, but I really want to be there to be able to help them and guide them. I think there's just so much potential. And, you know, I think it's, it's become uh, not just an expectation of businesses, but it's an expectation of consumers and, and businesses really to be able to interact digitally. So it's, it's, uh, I think it's such a, a monumental moment. And it's probably one of those things you'll look back, you know, 10 years from now, and you're going to, you're going to remember and you say, Hey, during those two years, that's really when the whole concept of digital transformation and digital awareness uh, really became something that came to the forefront. It's amazing, isn't it, that there's still companies or businesses, as you mentioned, that are just realizing now that they need to make these changes, isn't it, that they need to adopt more digital tools or uh, do the implementation, given everything we have gone through in the last few years and before that. Yeah, absolutely. And and the other part that I think, Danny, that's quite amazing is that I think there are countries that we traditionally have thought about, okay, these are the, the countries that are at the forefront of, of digital transformation. Mm-hmm. But now what we're seeing are countries that were countries or markets that weren't, you know, part of this conversation and really using this as a way to transform themselves or just reinvent themselves from a digital perspective and a, and a way to become super competitive. Uh, with with other you know markets in other countries, uh, in a way that they never thought was possible. And when you Nagesh, when you're talking to um, partners and potential clients, um, is there any kind of common things that that keep cropping up again and again, or, or things that that people are struggling with when it comes from moving or becoming more digitally savvy and, and centric? If I would probably to to highlight, I think the challenges. Mm. The, the biggest challenge, and I think if you kind of separate very large organizations versus, uh, you know, smaller, independent, mid-sized type companies, is really the difference is not knowing where to start yeah. and mm-hmm. thinking about what do I do, what tools do I have, uh, what, you know, what should I, you know, how should I embark on this, on this journey? And that's something that I find really interesting that some of the choices that people make, I, I'm genuinely surprised by, by those choices. Mm. And the, the other side of it is, I think, has been the realization of the opportunity that's, that's out there. There's a lot of businesses that are still very, mm. very, what I would call micro-focused. They're, they're just thinking about their community or their, or their country as where they can be relevant or engaged. And again, very much sort of the way we look at our business is how do we help you go beyond borders and think about different markets? And again, there's that awareness. And I, I would say it's it's a developing awareness and there's so much more that could be, uh, you know, tapped into in terms of that potential uh, to, to create a lot more growth and a lot more opportunity for, for businesses. A lot of what I see sometimes as well is that even when companies know they need to do it or they've embraced it and they're putting plans in place, um, that it's the execution that is where it really gets tricky. Nagesh, do you see that as well? Yes, yeah. absolutely. And and the the thing that I'm I think again I'm somewhat amazed by is is you know one is the execution, mm. and the other part of the the choices and the decisions. Yeah. The the a lot of a lot of the 
clients or potential clients or customers that we come across, uh, I think they they view some of their decisions maybe a little too lightly mm-hmm. and maybe initially are gravitated or motivated purely based on price as opposed to you know really finding a quality solution, uh, a solution that, that allows you to scale and allows you to scale in a really safe and secure way. So, so to me, I think those are some of the things that I find you know still genuinely surprising. Yeah. And other businesses that just, I, sometimes I'm really surprised they don't see the potential in what they have. Uh, you know, from an outsider's perspective, I look at their business and I'm like, oh my gosh, you have so much potential. You have such a great product. Mm. You know, why are you keeping this product just to, um, you know, your city or your town and, you know, the rest of the world wants wants this product or wants this access to this product. And again, mm. uh, you know, but I, but I do sympathize. I do yeah. sympathize with them because getting the information and piecing together all these different pieces is... It's tough and it's challenging and you know I that it, it is hard it is hard and uh, really how do you how do you help someone navigate through that I think is is the challenge and the opportunity and Mo can I come to you yeah. maybe on, on some of your thoughts here and, and on anything we've touched on but yeah I mean how do you see it at the moment in, in, in Asia or APAC within kind of digital transformation well the thing is I I, I mean my background is very similar to, to Nagesh mm. so coming from a payments perspective it's always been a very heavy technology proposition whenever you speak of digital transformations and everybody's looking at technology as an enabler um, to drive new business night drive new opportunities but I have to say swinging across and and landing in Air Asia gave me a very different perspective because the thing is when when we look at the merchant the merchants challenges um, in terms of how to execute on a digital transformation journey yeah is so different and i would agree with with nagesh though that the first problem everybody tries and gets hit with is how to start then they figure out they have to figure out where to start and um and they start looking at that whole business and they freak out and sometimes nobody gets started at all right Um, because one of the biggest challenges when you look at a merchant and, and taking the pandemic as an example is that the business focus shifts to where it's needed. And sometimes a, a revolutionary exercise or a longer term strategy like digital transformation gets shelved. Mm-hmm. And they forget that it is actually a really good opportunity for you to do the change because the business is actually at a lull um, and, and they, they refocus. So it takes a very different form. Um, from a merchant's perspective, digital transformation, yes, it is all about digitizing the, the, the capability to access new markets, new customers, and, and to bring to market new solutions. Um, Nagesh touched on merchants who are too micro in their view of their business. I, I would tend to agree because as, as, as P&L owners, a lot of them just look at what they do know, and they really very rarely look out to set to sit down and see what else they can do to sit down and drive new yield. And when you look at a, a group level proposition like money, we have to sit down and guide different business lines within our organization to sit down and say, we get the fact that you are looking at specific verticals, but maybe this is the time for you to take a step back and look at the potential opportunity and 
put in that extra time to sit down and find a new form factor that would open up a new segment or a new market and to drive that transformation. Because whenever uh, a merchant looks at transformation, they're just looking at new ways to do business. Mm -hmm. And the typical thing that comes to mind is, I need a mobile app. The first thing they talk about, but they forget that that mobile app needs to be supported with a business line in the back, with a CVP that works, with something that the customer needs, and then augmented with payments that the customer can use. So all of those pieces are still building blocks towards just that move towards being digital. And um, I look out in the industry, some of the competitors and some of some friends even um, who look at it and they just look at one vertical and they, they start and they jam up because they realize that the other pieces are not ready as well. So it has to be taken at a more strategic level um, as well. And sometimes smaller, smaller merchants who, who do not get the opportunity of that lens um, end up not being very effective at that pivot that everybody talks about. Uh, for, Mo, for people listening as well, and, and really interesting points there, and I guess the key thing is that you're not approaching it in a silo. You don't just want to do one thing and then find that you haven't got a holistic approach and everything falls flat. How, how yeah. Any recommendations you would have for the listeners just in terms of how you do make sure that all the building blocks are correct as well so you're approaching it in the right manner? Well, in... in, in in most organizations, you have a very strong corporate strategy mm. environment where they would basically do a little bit of future forecasting, or yeah. future casting in terms of where things are going to go and then forecast what would happen if certain key metrics were moving. Unfortunately, that kind of tech and that kind of frameworks exist in very large organizations. But I'm starting to see something like that come into much smaller businesses because they can't afford to make a mistake and they need to at least do a little bit of planning and have some contingencies as well. Mm -hmm. The other thing that is very critical is for you to compartmentalize your pieces in blocks that you can move. I mean, payments, for example, is one that um, is that comes to mind because it's just it's just a nice wrapper around a lot of legacy capability. Um, for example, I mean, the banks are still the banks, you know, the flows are still the same. But as you look at your customers in different ways, the experience of making that payment would change, right? And, and how do you make sure that it becomes seamless, for example? So as you look at the pieces, you would have to start looking at the component to look at the payments piece, for example, make it seamless. And then you need to look at who your customers are. Um, for us, What's something that has worked for AirAsia is for us to start looking and using frameworks like design thinking where we focus on the customer because we do realize that the success of a product is actually more enhanced if that product fits a business need or a consumer need. Um, gone are the days of built and they will come. Um, so we needed to sit down and build solutions that, that fit um, a criteria or a market. Mm -hmm. So. Coupling that together, focusing on the customer a little bit more and looking at what they need, building out the, the product proposition, using the technology, then looking at the channel and then making sure the back office is nice and ready to sit down and support it, whether or not you build middleware or otherwise to sit down and access existing capabilities or new interconnectivity to partners like Pioneer to avail new capabilities is something that needs to be thought through. Mm. Uh, all that should then be 
be, be managed within a strategic framework in terms of is that the right thing to do in the shorter term, medium term? So a bit of future casting could be helpful yeah. um, for us. Interesting how you mentioned that the, the consumer need, I guess, looking at everything through kind of a consumer lens. You wouldn't want to start on this journey and then find out at the end that there isn't actually a, a customer a need. Market. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, Mo, Mo, in terms of payments then, how, how are you leveraging payments for your, for your business growth? Well, for us in, in AirAsia, I think one of the, the ethos that, that we bring it back down to, I think our founder, Tony, he's always reminded us that AirAsia is all about moving things from A to B, moving people from A to B. And we take that for payments as well, because for us, payments is moving money from A to B, whether it's small money or big money, it doesn't matter whether it's for B2C or B2B, because then we start looking at that about how it creates value either within the organization or outside the organization as well. And I think when we start looking at that that way, we realize then there's a much easier way for us to set down in more payment types, payment solutions, payment processes to fit the different lines of businesses that AirAsia has. So the internal value creation um, becomes much easier for us to manage. But something that's been very, very critical for us is payments have always been something that's misunderstood. Um, I mean, without payments, you can't sell what you have because the money has to flow. Um, so working through partnership. With, with the likes of Pioneer and everybody else within specific markets, whether to avail it domestically or internationally, um, to complete the picture has been one of the formulas that we've been using. And then taking to that lens, Danny, where we said, you know, it's all about the customer view. Um, I think payments has reached a point where it's all about hygiene. Yep. I mean, gone are the days where the banks used to talk about top of wallet. I mean, for heaven's sakes, nobody whips out the wallet anymore. So that idea of actual payments being something of an activity or a process that's part of the broader purchase um, is, is now getting very gray. Okay. So for us in AirAsia, we believe that payments should be invisible. It's hygiene. Um, it should be part of the experience of I mean, if you want to pay, you pay, yeah. you know, you, we, we don't want to ask you about what you want to pay with, because that's just wasting way too much time, giving you way too, too much time to think about that purchase. We just said, yeah, sure. You want to pay for it? Done. Right. Okay. I think that's where the fintech piece comes in and the, the heavy use of technology to simplify that experience for the customer comes into play. And in our opinion, that's the only way to help business grow making sure that payments is not to some extent a hindrance or a bottleneck or even something to slow down the completion of that exercise mm. making it simple making it intuitive um, and making it second nature because as we as we create ecosystems giving you an example like how AirAsia is building the super app and we have that super app yeah. we have the benefit of um, pre-authenticating our customers which gives us a very interesting capability because if you already know who your customers are, if, if Danny, I already know it's you, I probably won't have to challenge you six other times anymore because I already know it's you. And that means any interaction between you and me could be simplified to that. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. Then, then let's move on. Right. Um, 
we try and bring that to, to the online experience as much as we can because we believe that's the only way. Business can only grow if payments isn't a hindrance to it growing. Right? It has to avail new segments for that business, you know, like alternative payments, like wallets. You know, sometimes it's all about installments. Sometimes it's about BMPL, which is all the buzzwords that we have now. Availing those capabilities for the business to complete that sale, I think, in my opinion, is, is key. Yeah. And Mo, have you seen, has there been a time maybe where there has been some friction around payments? And when you lose customers at that kind of last step, do you find that if, if the payments part, if there's too much friction, do those customers come back and stay with you? Or is that a real point of frustration? It is a real point of frustration yeah. then. I mean, people, doesn't matter what we say, the purchase experience, even though planned, is still impulse driven. Mm -hmm. um, so the moment you break that cycle for them, it, it does literally break that flow. They would reconsider and sometimes they don't come back. Mm -hmm. So the payment completion is key. That's why for us to keep it simple, keep it transparent, or even invisible totally yeah. where that that, that gets completed in, in, in a split second, that's, that's, that's the way to go. I mean, we looked at, um, in, our, in our industry, um, payments can be friction, right? especially when, one, you're closing the sale, or it is a post-transaction exercise, like a refund, like a cashback, or where we, we, we need to manage on the exceptions as well. And that is where also we lean heavily on payments technology to avail um, the capability of giving it back as quickly as we can take it. Because yeah. it doesn't matter how you look at a customer, the way they see money flow, in my opinion, a customer sees it just like me sticking out a 10 bucks out of my wallet and handing it over. That They want that level of fluidity in terms of where the value transfers. So that the, the transfer of value is going to be key. And how fast you do that will unlock a lot more business, but that's going to be in the realm of payments and how we do it, right? Whether we use tech, whether it's a process, whether it's a solution, whether it's a flow is, is going to be key. Payoneer is the world's go-to partner for digital commerce everywhere. From borderless payments to boundless growth, Payoneer promises any business in any market the technology, connections and confidence to participate and flourish in the new global economy. Since 2005, Payoneer has been imagining and engineering a truly global ecosystem so the entire world can realize its potential. Powering growth for customers ranging from aspiring entrepreneurs in emerging markets to the world's leading digital brands like Airbnb, Amazon, Google, Upwork and Walmart, Payoneer offers a universe of opportunities open to you. Very much what we do at Payoneer is really looking at it with the lens that payments is an enabler. It's an enabler to be able to make something possible. And and I agree with Mo, I mean, very much a lot of this has to do with, with execution. And as a good enabler, ultimately, we would, we would and we should really be in the background. And if, if everything's working the way it should be. And from, from that perspective, if you think of what payments has done, right, we, we can think about, you know, from a, from a domestic point of view, we're all able to, you know, uh, buy, buy the things we want to do and whether we want to do it physically or whether we want to do it online. 
But when you start to think about the, the challenges of uh, being able to do cross-border commerce, whether it's as a consumer, uh, as a business, or as a seller, and the logistics of that. There's, there's traditional logistics of just you know, getting, getting your products from A to B. That's one challenge. But just being able to move funds from, from country A to country B is a whole nother level of, of challenge. And, and really, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't have to be. And, and Mo had mentioned sort of the legacy of uh, traditional banks. And that legacy remains uh, today. And you know, they, they are also trying to innovate. But the reality is, is where a lot of the innovations coming from has been coming from uh, the fintech community and how to solve these problems, right? Like, really, it's very much how do you how do you uh, execute in a scenario where uh, where the the experience for at least for cross border and, and to start to eliminate borders, it should be the exact same experience that you would have in your your home market or in, in, from a domestic perspective. the The other aspect I think for this is one one part of it is is functionality and, and being able to do what we're talking about, going from A to B. But the other part of it is that none of this works if the experience is, is you know, horrible. Um, the experience, at least in our world, we're, we're trying to connect, let's say, for example, a, uh, an exporter or a, or a seller in China or Vietnam that wants to sell to uh, enlist their products on a, on a marketplace in the US, as an example. And if that experience is, is frustrating, uh, whether it's, you know, I can't get access to my funds, uh, I can't connect with the marketplace, the marketplace can't pay me in a timely way. Uh, these are all the challenges and these are all the frictions that will, will hinder, you know, any form of uh, growth on either side, whether it's a marketplace, uh, like any of the big, you know, global marketplaces that want to expand and sell in, in you know, Asia or any of the sellers uh, that want to sell to a marketplace somewhere else around the world. So these are the, these are the, the frictions and the challenges um, that, that I've seen, but again, that, that are the challenges that we're attempting to solve, but experience is everything. I think customer experience is, is paramount, whether it's a consumer or whether it's a business to business experience. And um, I think then you can kind of extend it yeah. Even one step further. Yeah. Okay. To to, you know, we talk about the industries and verticals, and we you know we saw through COVID that it's not just e-commerce anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw it in e-learning. So so parents in China who want to educate their kids and get private tutoring, they're connecting to tutors around the world. We saw social platforms and social commerce. Uh, again, you know, you you're consuming uh, content on a social platform. And then there's someone who's a content creator somewhere else in the world. Again, they're not necessarily a, a big business. They're, they're an individual creator. So being able to make that possible and, and remove the frictions for all of this is, is I think, a, is, you know, is how you start to see about um, the whole idea of execution. And uh, what I would come back to sort of the first point I said was really about enablement and empowerment. Yeah. And I guess as well, Nagesh, if, if you are listening to this and, and, and you're not a, a huge company, but you're a merchant or um, learning organization, sometimes payments can be quite intimidating, especially if you want to go cross-border, right? It's not your expertise. Um, um, 
what are the recommendations there? How do you actually make sure that everything runs smoothly? And I guess people want to be able to concentrate on their business, right? What they're good at. But, you know, sometimes this is the stuff, like you said, if, if you get it wrong, and Mo mentioned as well, you, you lose customers and they, they don't come back. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a really tough one because mm. if, if I was thinking from, you know, a business owner's perspective or, you know, a mid-size or a small business owner's perspective, it's a daunting challenge to mm. say, I'm going to, I'm going to start to be a little bit more digital. I'm going to start to put myself up there. But on the, on, on the same, uh, on the same, you know, theme, do I have to have it perfect on day one? Mm. And, and I think that sometimes can also be a challenge is because you're thinking, okay, there's all these different solutions. I need to, I need to have it right. And I think sometimes because you're thinking about trying to have it right, you don't take you don't take and you don't trial and you don't test it out. Uh, but there's a lot of really good resources out there. There's a lot of good resources. And I think this is, again, where you need to kind of balance it from the perspective of is it about experience or is it about just just a solution? And I would tend to lean more towards experience and thinking about uh, making sure your customer is satisfied, making sure the experience is great, uh, and, and really thinking about how do you convert that customer? And a lot of, uh, from our perspective, what I've seen is a lot of these businesses that maybe are not that big or that large, mm. the first step is not to go do it on your own. The yeah. first step might be to go work with a marketplace. There's there's lots of marketplaces around the world and, and within Asia and within Southeast Asia to start by testing the waters by going on these marketplaces, selling your products. They have the infrastructure, they have the payments infrastructure, they have the logistics infrastructure. And it's a great way for you to start to learn and figure it out and then gradually evolve and, and build up your own capabilities to, to be a little bit more uh, independent and for you to start thinking about your own solutions and build up your own uh, infrastructure and capability. Hey, Nagesh, if, if I could, I mean, I mean, that's a really good point. Um, I mean, one of the things that we realize is a lot of the merchants, sometimes when they want to do the business, they don't actually do a lot of research on their own. And when they do do that research, they get thrown with the conventional data or information around conventional payment solutions and payment types, right? And they, they speak to the banks and then they get the typical bank response, especially if they are really small merchants. And I think that, that still exists significantly as well. I mean, I mean, one of the things that, that, that I wish we, we could do in, in the industry is to create that visibility because the, the smaller merchants um, won't fare very well with the typical financial service providers because they're just relatively small. But that's where the ecosystem's heading. Um, I'm not sure whether you think otherwise, but we tend to see a lot of gig economy, um, like businesses, like what you were saying. And something that the banks in our experience struggle with is the relatively high frequency, low value transaction types um, that they bring to the ecosystem. Um, and the traditional solutions just don't work as well because it's usually relatively decent size, but not as often, especially when you start looking at, you know, fraud triggers and everything else. Um, what do you think? I mean, do you guys have something for, for the market for that? Nikesh? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it's not an easy, it's not an easy task. And, and everything you're saying was absolutely correct. The, the challenge is getting information. The challenge is navigating all of this. So, 
we actually spend a lot of time as, as an organization on uh, uh, training, education, uh, helping, helping you know, SMEs understand what their options are and really trying to figure out, okay, here's, here's one thing you could do and here's another way you could approach your business. A lot of it, it's also not just us doing this. We, we, we recognize that we need to collaborate and, and partner with other people. It could be partnering up with a marketplace. It could be partnering up with a website builder, uh, a logistics company, all of these things. We recognize all of these are pieces to the puzzle. And uh, it, again, is probably an, an evolution of where uh, a business uh, comes into this and, and where they start their journey. But it really is, um, you know, I, I, I do agree with you completely. It is a, it's a real daunting challenge of how to how to figure this out. And I think, again, this is why there are a lot of different organizations that are trying to figure out how to um, really start to meet the needs or address the needs of, you know, uh, small and medium-sized businesses. And Danny, I wanted to share a stat. There was a stat that uh, I thought was an interesting stat. Um, SMEs. They actually re they represent about ninety percent of all the businesses globally, oh. and uh, they make up roughly about seventy percent of global employment, and they contribute to about ninety percent of the global GDP. So these are SMEs. So when we think about all the different things, you know, whether it's fintech, uh, marketplaces, and platforms, really, again, you know, we we. You know, it's it's being able to give these businesses a platform, and you know, I, I think like what Mo's doing, and and you know where AirAsia is going. I mean, they're they're a platform that, that can create some of these opportunities as well. Uh, whether you're you know an independent F&B establishment, uh, a, a travel business, a tour guide, uh, I think these are all ways for people to uh, you know dip their dip their toes into the water and start to. Uh, you know, gain that experience. Yeah, yeah, great points. I think the main thing as well is it's that you don't have to do it alone, isn't it? That you can seek Absolutely. help, talk to partners, um, go through marketplaces like you mentioned, Nagesh, or, you know, a lot of the time there's masters in the space, isn't there? You can often lean on them for, for wonderful advice and there's so much on available for free these days. You know, don't, don't struggle alone and, and think that, you know, how am I going to tackle this insurmountable challenge. And Danny, if I could add, I think when when my experience has been a lot of these businesses, they they come in with preconceived notions. Mm. And part of it is they're they're locked into a lane uh, and they're like, okay, well, I don't need that. I need this. Mm -hmm. And some of that is also based on, uh, you know, sort of the general narrative in the industry. And, and some of that influences where and you know what businesses start to look for. I think large businesses, they're you know they they, they have sort of that that uh, broader breadth and that thinking. But I, I really think of you know sort of the mid-sized segment and small businesses. It's it's really being able to get a neutral and impartial information on on how to navigate this. Fantastic. Yeah, I completely agree, Nagesh. So I hope you've brought your crystal balls with you because I'm going to change change gears a little bit. I'm just going to ask you about um, the future. I'm going to ask you about 2022. Um, where do you think this is all all headed, Nagesh? What, what do you think is going to happen within uh, digital transformation moving into next year and beyond? 
we're seeing some trends already, and it, it's going to be a really sort of interesting, what I would call it, attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've we've seen with you know in some markets COVID getting better. We'll see what happens, and people are going back to physical retail. Uh, I think so that that's kind of one one trend. Yeah. The 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 other the other part is how much will be sustained. Uh, you know, online digital commerce. Are we are we going to continue to go that down that path? So I think that's that's sort of the the other side of the the tension and. I, I would also highlight that I think some things are obviously here to stay, for sure. Um, you know, consumer preferences, uh, consumer expectations that you know digital should just be uh, what they expect. I think people are going to just want uh, more payment choices, and and what I mean by more payment choices is that it's it's no longer just saying, well, I have you know these these large global brands. And that's the only payment choice. They they're going to want payment payment choices and payment options that are very specific to their their markets where they're living. And uh, I, I think you're going to end up seeing a payment page that's going to be a, a much more broader, diverse, uh, and and bigger payment page to meet the needs of, of people. Uh, we're seeing it already. Like you know whether people want you know their credit cards, they want their debit cards, they want. Gift cards. They want buy now, pay later. Uh, all of these options are going to have to somehow come into this to meet the needs of of consumers. So that's that's sort of one side of it of what I see happening. I think the other side is you'll see. I think you'll. I, I hopefully. I think you'll see more and more businesses continue to look beyond their borders uh, because they'll see it's possible and they're not going to be limited to just one market. Uh, the other aspect, I think. You're going to see a lot more and continued intensified competition because there's just a lot more uh, going on out there and uh, much more in terms of choice. And then the last point, I think what happens that when we start to think of it digital is thinking about the supply side and thinking about what's happening in terms of logistics and supply chain challenges. That that in itself could also change the way we think about digital commerce. It could either either you know, drive it much more aggressively, or it could force people maybe into a, a more physical environment if uh, they're having to go back into uh, a retailer. I hope it's more towards digital mm-hmm. myself, but we'll we'll see. I think it's an interesting time ahead. And when you say you hope it's more towards digital, why do you say that? Well, I think I I'm putting putting aside my professional hat. Mm. I, I'm someone who likes uh, the digital experience. I'm yeah. someone who likes to shop online, and I I, I like that that convenience. Uh, if if I can do that, whether it's you know my retail or whether it's uh, you know services like government services or you know not having to think about uh, physical signatures and doing digital signatures, I think that just adds a lot to. Uh, you know, potentially my own convenience, and maybe yeah. maybe it helps me achieve that extra one hour a day. Yeah, yeah. There you go. You didn't need the twenty fifth. <laughs> <laughs> and and just 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 before I come to you, Mo Nagesh, on the on the more more payment options, w- would they then start to be more personalised as well? Um, so personalised payment options based on you know what what the the store or the the business knows that you you as a consumer would prefer. I, I would I would think so, and I, I, I think the question is what's the timeline? I, I don't know that. 
but I definitely think, you know, when we talk about consumer experience, this is very much part of consumer experience. So if Mo is someone who likes a particular payment method or he has a particular preference, it's no different than when, when we're shopping online and you think of the algorithm and, you know, giving me the products that, you know, I'm, I'm interested in, I think it's going to be the same thing. Yeah. Uh, I think it'll probably even extend a little further. It's probably giving me, you know, a more tailored payment experience and, you know, maybe it's going to be around benefits, loyalty, uh, and other types of things that might be added into that payment experience. Yeah. But ultimately it comes around to choice. Yeah. Mo, how about you? What do you, what do you think is going to be changing moving forward? Well, um, a lot of things we see um, resonate a lot with what Nagesh is seeing mm. as well. Because one of the things I was, I apologize, Nagesh, I, I kind of laughed when you said about the big payment page because we have one of those. <laughs> and there's just so many, we're kind of losing out about how we want to sit down and place it out. But that challenge forces us, Danny, to, yeah. to, to do exactly what Nagesh basically said, that with the ability to centralize payments and to to put through everything into one central conduit, we've been able to sit down and monitor and understand a little better around the consumer needs, uh, especially around preferences for what payment types. Right? Um, so for us in, in AirAsia, we would pop the first thing that you would actually, what you've used before or most frequent as, as a preference. Because one thing that we've had to do, especially in the model that we have, because we run businesses out of ASEAN. And to Nagesh's point, a lot of localization requirements gets pushed on to us because, you know, a customer in Singapore would have a preference for pay now, but pay now doesn't exist in Thailand and Thailand is something else, mm -hmm. you know, in Malaysia, it's something else. So we've had to already modify preferences to fit the environment because the local payment types will take precedence. We do see a lot of shift away from physical cards. Everybody's starting to look at uh, wallets and, and, and other alternative payments as a preference, even direct debit in a lot of markets as, as governments kind of support it. To, to echo something Nagesh said is specifically around digital transformation. The simple answer I give my guys is when we, we actually have a chat is right now, the digital piece of payments is because nobody has to touch something physical anymore. There's no more cards. Yeah. You don't touch a wallet. And you, the only thing digital is your phone. And the moment you take the physical form factor out of all of those, you know, there's no checks, there's no paper, there's no plastic, there's no swipe, there's no dip anymore. It's all been summarized to either a tap or a pin. And that's basically it. We realized that the customer's view and preferences for payments shifted as well. They started looking at how simple each one is. And um, I think we saw it when people started using the ATMs. They were pushing back about going to an ATM to withdraw money. But nowadays, nobody thinks twice about it. Mm. And the moment everybody was saying, I don't want to use this mobile wallet. But after the pandemic, they, the only thing they talk about is that mobile wallet. So for us as a merchant, we, we, we've had to sit down and shift that as well. And to achieve that customer centricity, yeah. we even try and, and pop up their most frequent payment type um, that they use. And we start doing profiling um, in terms of consumers. And so not only do you have a pref 
preferred payment. So maybe Danny, for business use, you use this card, but for personal purchases, you use your e-wallet. Yeah. And for regular, um, you know, purchases at the grocer, you use your your direct to cash pre-funded wallets. You know, for example, and we we track all of those. Mm. But I think the biggest transformation trend for 2022 is the fact that I think the banks would finally figure out they can do some things and they can't do everything. And because if you notice, they've been trying to get down to the masses and they're struggling, right? Because there's such a, a legacy environment. They've been around for a long time. Their version of digitization has always been a mobile wallet, but there's certain things they can't do. And what we're seeing is the fintech play within the industry is starting to bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. And they're starting to see a lot more collaboration between fintech players and banks. Yeah. And I think in the last month or so, you're starting to see banks backing off, but being in in a different way. You know, They would invest in them. They would sit down and, and, and bring them into the fold so that they get the benefit of an extension without them having to do it themselves. Uh, along the way, creating a lot more sustainability through the fintech players. You know, when banks start looking at BNPL, instead of building it, they partner with someone. The banks would inject um, funding through fintech players because it opens up a different form factor or payment type. So I think we're going to see a lot more of those because each player is going to realize they can go so far, but they can't do all it all the way. Yeah. And they, they go further if they collaborate. Mm. For us as a merchant... It spins us a little bit because it's great for us because now we see a very strong collaboration between the traditional and the new, which for us gives us an ability to bring um, that extra to the customer when it comes to payment without having to worry about the legacy processes. Mm. Um, Because suddenly the bank now has a really nice funky wrapper out front, which is provided by the fintech partner now. And, And that works for us. Yeah. Yeah, interesting that you mentioned that, right, the traditional and the new, because I guess people want payments to be invisible, but it's still a very personal thing, isn't it? That you don't you don't want to do something you don't trust. Uh, if you've got that traditional trust factor merged with something new and that makes it easier, it's, it's like a win-win, isn't it, really? It is, yeah. it is. Danny, can I just add something yeah. to that? I think that, that piece is really, it's a really interesting topic, This this idea of, uh, how traditional retailers view all of this innovation. Mm-hmm. And and I think you, you can be the biggest traditional retailer. You could be a, the biggest brick-and-mortar retailer. And I think this is where they're approaching, you know, they still tend to approach things very cautiously and where they're, they're looking at uh, a bank uh, with a certain amount of trust and mm-hmm. uh, its stability and it's what they know. And and, and to most points, it's, it's really, I think, for us, uh, in, in different versions as, as fintech players, is 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 really again coming back to how to how to educate them and how to how to bridge them, uh, you know, to show them that they could have the best of both. Yeah. And and that to me becomes a really critical area. And I and I think you will see uh, this really as a as a theme going forward. Completely agree. Um, Nagesh, I've really enjoyed the the conversation here around uh, Apex Digital Evolution. I feel like we could we could continue. We should be doing a part two, but uh, uh, I have to I have to cut time. But really enjoyed really enjoyed talking through all those three points with you. And and I think one thing's for sure that that 
next year and beyond looks extremely exciting when it comes to, to digital transformation and, and the evolution of payments and the experience there. Um, just before we close, I always ask my guests to share one life or career lesson with the listeners. And Mo, I'd love to, to start with you. I mean, for me, it's about understanding the fundamentals. And I think the experience is important, but not to get too bogged down into that, that it crystallizes into what you do. Mm-hmm. You need to know the pieces. You need to know the Lego blocks, but have the flexibility of appreciating the current situation and picking and choosing which Lego block would be the fit for purpose at that point in time. And I think as, as the industry shifts, that becomes more and more important because of a lot of successful merchants we see or individuals, um, it doesn't work to be hard on a specific mindset. You know, you need the ability to be flexible, use the learnings that you have. Um, one of the learnings I see is as, as, as we get older, mm. the, the captains of industry gets younger now, right? Because our time is different and their view is very different, but yet they're rushed into it. But people like us have the experience to augment it. Mm-hmm. So they need to see the, they need to better appreciate the learnings that the, the veterans can, can help. Um, and for that, it has to be broken up. So the ability to see it in its pieces is critical yeah. in my opinion. Really, really like that. Nagesh, how about you? For me, uh, I think Mo definitely covered some topics that I wanted to reflect on. Mm. But for me, I guess, right, you're thinking about... (laughs) No worries, Mo, thanks. Um, I think, you know, you're talking about life and career lessons. For me, it's uh, really asking some fundamental questions. And and I think too often uh, we kind of just accept things as, well, that's just it. So one of the things I always ask myself is, you know, a lot of times we'll talk about something we'll say oh it's too late to enter that market or it's you know such and such company's gone in and uh we've missed that opportunity and it's just reminding myself that it's not a race uh, it's more of a marathon and you know even someone who has a 10-year head start doesn't necessarily mean they are better or they've executed better uh there's a lot of room first of all there's a lot of room for multiple players and in, in terms of doing what we do and it's it's really making sure we we ask the right questions about you know why are we doing what we're doing what are we trying to solve and and how are we trying to solve it uh, it's coming back to sort of some of the fundamentals and again reminding myself about that it's about the customer uh, customer first so the customer experience and and being open-minded and, and having that flexibility to change uh, but at the same time i do really think it's it's critical uh, it's something that I, I do try to impress upon, you know, my team, my colleagues as well is, is, uh, you know, this sort of, this idea of accountability, uh, owning something and this idea of, of risk taking. I don't think we have to be, you know, crazy risk takers and do ridiculously, th- ridiculously dangerous things, but I think it's the idea of thoughtful risk taking and putting all that together, I think at least in what I've experienced in, in this industry and in, in payments and in fintech and digital commerce, I think those are sort of the lessons or uh, the things that I think become really valuable uh, as I continue to navigate this space and, and learn from others as well. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Nagesh. Thanks, Mo. That really, really valuable lessons there, I think, for the, for the listeners. Um, definitely agree with those. Um, so, how can people get in touch if they want to find out more? Could Mo, could, could, could you let the listeners know how they can get in touch? Um, the quickest way, I guess, is uh, probably just to, 
to hit me up on LinkedIn. I think we could always have that conversation if you have any questions or, or anything. Um, I think Danny, if you could could help put the link, I on, will do. On, yeah, yeah, on on the podcast. I think that'd be great as well. Will do. And Nagesh, what's the best way? Likewise, yeah. you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, my, my profile's up to date, and you know I definitely would be delighted and happy to talk to anybody about uh, this topic or any other topics that uh, might be relevant. Great, yeah, and we'll pop some some the relevant links on on Payoneer as well in the show notes as also. Um, Mona Gesh, thank you so much for coming on on digital transformation and leadership and and sharing all of your insights around uh, digital transformation, payments on the future, and just sharing some of your life lessons and wisdom. I've really, really enjoyed it. Thank you again. Thanks, Danny. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You've made it to the end of another episode of Digital Transformation and Leadership. If you're enjoying the show, please do leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. No need to leave a written review. Just clicking on the five stars is enough. I'd really appreciate it as it helps the show get found and it helps those listener numbers grow. And we'll be back again next week when we will again go behind the scenes with another top business leader to understand how they're digitally transforming their company. The Digital Transformation and Leadership Podcast is a Blue Aurora Media Production.